Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Battle to Bees Rise Up Ignite Your Life podcast. Tonight, I'm super excited to bring to you Jennifer Anderson. She is totally my soul sister. She is one of the few people that I can really geek out with and get down to the details of all of this brain science and the coaching goodness and all the different modalities and the amazing work that we are privileged to be able to do. She is the founder of First Responders Coaching, and she has an incredible team out boots on the ground, doing real work, changing real lives. So please welcome Jennifer Anderson. (laughs) Hey, Krista, how are you? So good. How are you? Good. Uh, I'm very good. Thank you for having me on. I'm I'm honored to be here tonight. Thank you. Well, there is so much going on in your world, and I, I want to have time to address all of it, but I also want to give everybody a little background and always do the playful question of, what was your childhood like? So who was little Jennifer? <laughs> oh my gosh. There's a fun, fun place to start. Um, no, my childhood was amazing. I grew up in um, a really small town in um, North Central Massachusetts here. Um, I actually live in the same town that I kind of, the very same area that I grew up in. Um, couldn't couldn't get out of the Central Mass area. Um, favorite place to watch the seasons change and uh and no it was a it was a great childhood thank you for asking that's awesome <laughs> did you know what you wanted to be when you grow up yes which is so funny in fourth grade i said i wanted to be a pediatrician but i didn't know how to spell the word um <laughs> and then i found out i was like well i still want to work with kids let me uh let me go into teaching so in fourth grade i want to be a teacher And, um, and then I was a high school English teacher for 17 years before embarking on the uh, founder CEO role of of first responder coaching. So yeah, 17 years of high school English education under my belt. (laughs) Well, see, you're, you're already used to working with challenging people who aren't sure that they want what you're selling. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, as a high school teacher, I was definitely mentor, coach, mom um, to so many kids um, over that 17 years. And um, I'm actually really excited to have some of those former students in first responding that I'm now supporting um, through this work um, as well. And uh, it's just it's so honorable and it's so cool. I don't know, it's just kind of cool to, to have this full circle kind of piece um to my work but uh it definitely definitely prepared me (laughs) for my role as a coach in the first responder world that is so awesome and you were married to a police officer yes so um kevin and i met and started dating in 2001 um we were at fitchburg state college here in massachusetts um he was a criminal justice major so i kind of knew like all right he's gonna be a police officer but um, you know, police officer and teacher, police officer, nurse, we know we are all right. We're all connected, um, you know, firefighters in this first responder world. Um, and so I kind of knew what we were getting into, but I had no clue what that actually was going to look like. Right. Um, and so I remember when he was first getting on the force, I got a phone call from the chief saying, Hey, um, you know, this is, you know, chief so-and-so, uh, you know, I understand your husband is looking for a position on the, the police department you know, do you support him? And I remember being like, 
wow, like that's kind of cool that the that the chief himself is is reaching out, you know, to the spouse to to, to check in and you know make sure that Kevin had a, a really solid foundation um, at home. And so I was like, oh my gosh, of course, like absolutely, I support him and his um, discovery and wanting to be a, a law enforcement officer. Um, but how many of us really know what that means until we're like, you know, year seven, 10, <laughs> 15. Um, that's when, you know, the reality of, of really the person that you marry changing and being influenced and, um, you know, seeing, um, having them see, you know, really difficult and challenging things. Um, that's when your relationship is really, really put to the test. Um, but yeah, no, he, he always wanted to be a police officer. So after 15 years, um, he ended up being medically retired, but he had a great career. It's interesting that timeline, people keep giving the same timeline for when it, for when it, it's accumulative. So it's affecting them long before that, but that 10 to 15 years is when it really starts to take over. It seems like, and I'm trying to recall if anyone has used a different timeline because I actually believe so far every interview I've done, it's between that 10 and 15 year mark that people are, they either retire, they start being an alcoholic, like not just using and slightly abusing, but they're literally in that alcoholic world or the, the relationships are falling apart. So the, the big markers are starting to show up at that 10 to 15 year mark, mm -hmm. which is, which we don't, science doesn't completely understand cumulative post-traumatic stress. So we're dealing with kind of a different, a different world than, than there was a car accident and now we have PTSD. So it's, it's this it, trying to observe things and notice the patterns and, and figure this all out so that we can support people in the journey way earlier. Yes. Right. I, I, I totally agree. When Kevin especially got on the force, there was no hesitation that this was going to be his career path for his entire life. Like he was wanting to be in the law enforcement world since he understood what a police officer was, um, you know, from, from childhood, he was so enthusiastic about pursuing a career in law enforcement. And so um, his first diagnosis of PTSD came in 2015. Um, he was about 11 years on the job. And he received some, some support, um, did some EMDR work and then, you know, left and was like, I'm healed. I'm cured. I can go back out there. I'm good to go. Everything's glorious. We're going to be great. And I remember again at the time, you know, being a spouse in this role and watching these kind of, mm, I don't think you're quite cured, hon. Why don't we continue some conversations with, um, a clinician, um, it was a time that I saw so much improvement and the weight, so much weight was lifted from his shoulders um, that I was like, okay, we're, we're going to work through this. We're going to move through this and it's going to be okay. Um, but then fast forward, he didn't continue the EMDR work. He really didn't continue much of the, you know, counseling work. Um, and so by the end of 2017, December, 2017, he um, had an all out mental, physical, emotional break. Um, that led to a hospitalization in January of 18. Um, he was hospitalized for six weeks um, due to his suicidal ideations and um, and obviously cumulative trauma and every, like, you name it, um, it, he had it. He, you know, again, the anxiety, the depression, every 
every piece. Um, and so he needed to, to focus on him and, and the growth and what he needed to do to move through that time. And um, as a spouse, it's so hard to, to watch, but um, we do our best to pick up the pieces as we go. And um, that's what I did. And was he the motivation for you to develop the programs that you have? Yeah, very much so. Um, because again, there really hasn't been any conversation. You kind of hit on it that like there isn't much conversation right now, but what can we do to prevent the trauma that we're experiencing in the first responder world from becoming PTSD, from becoming alcoholism, from becoming, um, you know, divorce and struggle within relationships. Um, and I think those conversations, I don't think I know these conversations need to happen. You and I, and everyone watching knows that conversations about trauma need to occur way before we get to picking up a bottle, way before we, you know, engage in other nefarious behaviors um, that can lead to destruction, right? Um, so what are we doing about that? You know, and I think you and I are are two of the front runners, you know, the, the leaders here in this, in this organization, this world, right, of having conversations about, okay, yeah, bad stuff happens, but then what? Right. And recognizing that there is a, a severe shortage of licensed therapists in general, and then licensed therapists that are qualified, capable, and skilled to handle trauma and to handle first responders. That makes such a small, small percentage of people that are able to do the necessary work. So... I mean, to me, it seems obvious, and I know we've had this conversation that for us, it's like the obvious answer that, well, there's so many layers before therapy that we can get to them long before that happens. And why are we not talking about making coaches and consultants available broad spectrum? Because we have the qualifications and the training and the skill sets, and most of us were first responders to begin with, so we understand the culture. Yes. So, add to that. Right. No, absolutely. Krista, no, you're hundred percent right. So, um, you know, my husband sent, sent to the hospital, like I remember it was a six hour intake process and I'm driving home going, what do I do now? Like, how, where can I get support? Who can support me? Like I called admin, I called, um, you know, union, I was reaching out to everyone that would answer my phone call, but the other spouses, like, how do I get help? Where do I get help? How do I move through this? And there weren't any culturally competent people I could speak to, um, you know, you go to psychology today and you're a great resource. And if we, you know, if, if people, um, you know, use that resource, please, please, please do it's something. Um, but there were no culturally common, no one understood about our first responder world. And so that's ultimately what led me to coaching because coaching is, as you know, as you know, and I'm sure many of your viewers do about the moment it's about right now. I needed to figure out how I was going to juggle getting one daughter to dance, one daughter to school, one daughter to, you know, the other daughter to this place and that place. I had to juggle our finances. I had to juggle, you know, everything that was going on in our lives immediately by myself in an instant. And so I needed to focus on the moment, the day, like, how am I going to navigate? What, what's tomorrow even going to look like? Um, and coaching was able to provide me with, with that kind of structure I needed to become the mom, the woman, the spouse, the wife that I needed to be to keep our family together and functional um, at a time that it had, it could have completely imploded. Um, 
you know, there were lots of moments where I know it probably would have been easier to pick up and say, good luck. You know, I, I, I can't do this. I can't be with you. Um, but he's worth it. PTSD is not his fault. Um, trauma is not his fault. This is the career that they've been called to do. And it is a blessing that they're doing this work and being willing to accept the trauma that comes with it. And so I was like, absolutely not going anywhere. We will make this work. We will continue to make this work, whatever needs to happen. So that work was through, you know, through, through coaching is, is really um, what it came down to, to be um, and having conversations with culturally competent people um, in the coaching world, I think is so incredibly helpful. So yeah, our, our story is really the inspiration behind what we've developed here, um, you know, at FRC. So you touched on a really important aspect that, that we can talk about when we say first responder coaching, um, and this would be true for both of us. We're not just talking about the first responders. We're talking about their families as well. And oftentimes the partner is the first one into this, into the system of coaching. And when they get comfortable, when they start building that trust, then where does that go? Mm-hmm. We need that level of support too. So oftentimes let's say our first responder community um, because I've been having conversations with other organizations who support first responders, um, you know, the IAFF uh, Fortitude program. I've had conversations with um, other organizations here locally in Massachusetts and across the country um, to bring coaching to them in ways that will support the community of first responders, um, not just specifically the individual, but um, all of our coaches here at FRC are first responders or the spouses of first responders for that level of cultural competency that I know that we need to build trust and understanding um, and to move us through through those those traumatic experiences in positive ways. Right. Um, again, Chrissy, you mentioned like, you know, creating a space. Right. We have to create the space. And there's so many modalities before that trauma turns into alcoholism or adultery or whatever else that might look like. Right. Um, and coaching is just one of those pieces that I think can be so beneficial um, to help our, our community um, stay together and, um, and understand what we're moving through. And you, I believe now I'm going to hope that I get this right because I'm going off of a Facebook post that I saw a few days ago. You <laughs> have started a little bit more focus on corporate. Yes. Yeah. There's a yes. There's um I'm really excited. Um obviously our passion, um, you know, my passion began in coaching individuals. Um, I teamed up with the National Police Wives Association and was coaching um capital police spouses um when I first entered the coaching scene about a year and a half ago. Um, and those individual connections were just so powerful, as you can imagine, our spouses of our capital police officers really needed to to have a level of support um and so as an individual they were you know let's let's bring this to the larger community so shortly after um i went back to the person who trained me to be a coach um and asked him to create a coach certification course um paul is his name he's a phenomenal human being and created a a 12-week coach certification course so we have a course already established for individuals who want to become coaches 
um, within our FRC framework. But also that filters into conversations about peer support teams, SISM teams, right? Your critical incident stress management teams, um, departments who um, are community-based or volunteer-based, right? Um, so many of our volunteer departments just get over overlooked, right? They don't have um, a set structure um, in, set up for them. Um, we have, I'm having conversations with people who are policymakers, people who go into municipalities to share certain policies and procedures within departments um, to, to set up a mental health and wellness program within their organizations. So yeah, we've just developed um, a few weeks ago, a developmental, excuse me, a departmental and organization package specifically tailored to departments who want to bring coaching to the individual. Um, we want to streamline this as, as easily as possible. Um, you know, as you and I, again, I'm sure, and all most of your viewers know that, you know, coach your, coaching is improving, you know, retention rates, is um, increasing longevity in the career, is helping our first responders in all aspects of life, right? We don't just coach one thing, you know, just the trauma. No, 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 no. We coach, we coach all of the above, right? The financial wellness, the spiritual wellness, whatever wellness that, you know, that might look like for our individuals. Um, so the whole person approach. So if departments themselves are, are looking at that level and say, okay, we want to offer something to our people that we see are hurting, that need some, some support, need a space to speak and talk and be, to be moved through these things, um, we absolutely offer um, offer those packages now. Um, I'm really honored to, to be able to share that too. Thank you for asking. That's awesome. That's what we're working on too, is that departmental modular system that's super easy to implement and you just pick the pieces that you need for the, for your circumstance. Yeah, it's I like you and I are on the same page and we're like, it seems so obvious to us, the whole, like the whole picture, what's missing, what isn't there, why are we not doing this? But, and when we have a conversation, it seems like so, because we get each other, but when we go somewhere <laughs> else, it's always like, wait, I've never heard this before, or what are you even talking about? Or how can we make that work? Or like, there is this shock and awe that we're even talking about this, we can address it earlier, we can address it, you know, quite easily. I've thought about that recently. Um, I was just at a firefighter conference again here in Massachusetts, the New England uh, Fire Chief Association um, put together a conference and um, using my, <laughs> one of my greatest assets to my FRC community, um, Don Pemberton, he's um, a firefighter out of Henderson, Nevada. And um, one of his um, go-to analogies is that we are the um, fire detectors, right? We're the early warning systems. Um, why are we waiting until the sprinklers come on and flames are already flying to, to establish any sort of um, program or connections with our first responder community um, to, to put out the flames? No, 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 no. We, we need to be these, these smoke detectors. And I was sharing that with so many of the gentlemen that I was meeting at the uh, fire chiefs conference. And they were just like, like light bulbs, light bulbs, like, but we, we can, we can prevent that. Like we can, is it proactive? Like we, we, we can do something before. Yeah. 
yes, we can. Yes, we can. Let's do it. Um, and it was just such a cool, again, epiphany for so many people to realize that we don't have to wait until trauma hits to prepare ourselves to create toolboxes of strategies and um, and whatever it might look like to, to prepare. So when it happens, because we're not naive, it's going to happen. Our spouses, first response, it's going to happen. They are going to see something that's going to affect them, um, whether it's today, tomorrow, the day after, multitude of ones, as you said, the accumulation of that trauma. Um, why can't we? Why can't, like, let's do it. Right? I know, this it. is like every day. Okay, there's 5 million people to talk to. How do we get the message out? How do we get the word out? How do we get people talking about this? And literally just this week, I have finalized a research project that is 120 pages on coaching and its place in the mental health for first responders. I question. cannot wait to read it. <laughs> it literally is that whole, how can we restructure this whole thing? And it starts with informed consent and educate psychoeducation at the beginning, before they're even hired on, literally in their training. Because everyone I've talked to, they say, well, we did suicide prevention and we did mental health awareness, but we did it for other people, not for us. So we didn't know what it looked like for us. We just knew, you know, that when we went on a call, somebody might, you know, be suicidal and this is how we would address it. Not that we might be suicidal. Thank you. And I was going to say, that's my checkbox, right? So many people I've had conversations with, you know, when I say, oh, do you have a peer support team or do you have a critical incident? And they're like, yep, checkbox, checkbox, I'm good. And it's like, no, 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 hold up, let's rewind. And I think that those, again, there's absolutely places in the process of our coping and doing and moving through these traumatic events for them. Um, again, peer support teams, I think it's great to have conversations amongst each other, you know, hey, that was a really rough call you good? But oftentimes that's where it ends. And they don't have the tools as peers that you said exactly to have conversations about their own thoughts and their own depression or their own um, feelings about the things that they're seeing day in and day out. Um, so you're absolutely right when, you know, they're being taught these, these pieces that are, you know, just checkboxes part of their training, but then how does it affect and influence who they are and, and what they're going to go through is it's vital, vital. Yeah, my my whole goal, my goal in life is to change it from mental health rescue, basically, to mental health maintenance. And it's literally part of their weekly job. They have some kind of tool, resource, skill development, practice, whatever it is, incorporated into their life every single week on the job. Training is training is training all the time. And it can be really super basic stuff. I mean, we're talking about breathing techniques. We're talking about nervous system, uh, nervous system calming techniques, mm -hmm. really basic stuff. I feel like I'm freaking out. How do I stop this for a second? Emotional awareness and regulation, like all of these things that we know are preventative and protective, mm -hmm. that whole list of protective features. Let's give those ahead of time. <laughs> I, I was just jotting down, if you saw me, um, I was jotting down some words because you were like, it's not just about mental health um, awareness it, or maintenance. It's almost mental health protection. When you just said that word, it was like, again, like you and I are in the mental health protection field. 
We are going to continue to do our best. My, my mission is that there's going to be an FRC coach in every department across the country in like five years, um, maybe 10. I'm going to push for five, but I want like, we need to have coaches in every single department having these conversations for the protection of their mental health as individuals, as first responders, as spouses in our first responder community as a whole. I love you. (laughs) (laughs) And before any of you all, because every time I have someone on my podcast that is my competition, you guys don't get it. (laughs) I always have to tell you. We are not competition because there is literally millions of people that need these services and lives depend on this getting out. And we are on exactly the same page. I have complete and absolute trust that if I send someone to her, they're going to get what they need. And while well, I'm making assumptions here, that you <laughs> would say totally vice versa. Of course, are you kidding me? I'm excited to see where we again grow together in this in this mission. We have to have um, you know conversations, and I, I do admit there have been a couple of people that have come across that have been like, "Oh, okay, well you do your thing, and I'm going to do mine." And it's like, "Well, okay, but we're going to get together. We're going to get more impact." Full, you know, results by working together. And so, no, you know, I am your one of your biggest cheerleaders from behind, you know, sharing and encouraging and absolutely supporting, you know, everyone out there who is, right. is a, a champion for mental health resources for our first responder communities. Absolutely. None of us can do this alone. And we're like, we're little tiny people screaming in this vast space. And if we're screaming all by ourselves, no one's going to hear us. If we get together and we're a chorus and we're all shouting the same thing, that is a tidal wave of change. And that will actually get us where we want to go. So I'm not in this for me. You're not in it for you. We're in it because there's millions of people out there that are in need of this knowledge. And it's not... It's not impossible. We can literally do this. It's so possible and so tangible. Mm -hmm. And when you've seen a single person, when you've seen the life transform from, I don't want to live and I have no value and my wife would be better off without me to wait, I'm actually laughing and smiling and I feel it inside again. I feel again. That's my my favorite thing I ever hear is I I feel again. Yes. Huge. Give us this, give us a story or an experience. Oh. It just I want oh my. people to see you have that joy too because yeah. you know exactly what I'm talking about. So I think so oftentimes where I'm I'm at the you know CEO and founder level. So I actually haven't done really any face-to-face coaching in a, in a long time because um, for for me, I want to be able to create the spaces. I want to create the connections for our coaches to be able to have those conversations. But I will never forget when I was coaching those Capitol Police spouses. There were some moments, you know, I've got you know whole setup, and I'm like, okay, we're going to talk about um, you know our values and what are our values and how are we going to use our values to to set some goals for ourselves and be able to move through you know these really challenging times. But there were some sessions that I would just sit there and we would just cry. You know, we would just celebrate the fact that our husbands were alive, 
celebrate the fact that our children were thriving despite the challenges that we were facing, right? Um, tons of gratitude work, right? Um, so in, in, in the midst of, of chaos, having a space, just creating a physical space, and, and granted it was Zoom, but it was a physical space for us to come together to have conversations um, about the trauma that they were enduring, and then in, engaging it in productive ways that ultimately did help them focus on the day-to-day, on what did I need to accomplish tomorrow, and to create, again, a sense of community. They had had um, they had been doing a sort of a wives club for a while, um, but to have some sort of, you know, structure that was like, okay, guys, this is, here's your space. Let's do it. Let's, I'm going to ask a few questions, a few powerful questions that are going to move us through the anger, the frustration, the challenges, and, and let's see if we can move to the other side of this. And, um, and then having, I'm, I'm honored to have three of those people who were in those first coaching calls, um, as members of our FRC coaches, coaching staff, um, and two of them of the three are now um, training coaches. So they even went further and said, no, I want to I want to continue in this path. I want to train other coaches um, on how to how to coach and how to make these connections because they just saw such value in it. So um, I always I get goosebumps thinking about my girls, um, my ladies down as uh, in the in the capital um, and some of the struggles that they went through and moved through and are now thriving through. That's the one thing I won't give up. No matter how many places I have to go speak, no matter how much research I have to do, I have, I've got to stay in. Like I can't. <laughs> I, can't. I know it's so. It really is hard. Um, I had the epiphany. I believe it was last June, and it was just starting the conversations about building what FRC was going to look like. Because I did. I thought I was going to be the one who was going to be coaching everyone. I'm like, just bring them on. I'm just going to coach. And then to have these conversations with these Capitol Police spouses, um, and they're like, no, 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 like, we want to do this with you. Like, how can we do this with you? And I was like, oh, this could be really cool if I could create, a, again, a business, create some sort of organization that will be able to train coaches and then put them in, you know, like you said, boots on the ground and having these direct one-on-one conversations within departments, um, you know, within our peer support team, with Everywhere. Everywhere. And so my mom, like, I'm, I'm literally having this like crazy moment and she turns and she looks at me and she's like, well, Jen, if you wanted to be a baker, you don't open a bakery. And I was like, dang it. Well, um, I, I guess I'm opening a bakery. Um, you know, and it was really a moment of epiphany that, you know what, I'm okay with not having the, without being the boots on the ground, I'm okay with it because I want to bring it to everyone else. Um, you know, we have a director of development. We've got director of economic, excuse me, business development, economic development. We've got, you know, director of our lead training. We've got director of coaches. Like, and so starting to build out this framework that's going to really come together and support coaching across the country, like support you, support our mission um, of bringing this, this modality I was like, yeah, no, I, I, I see this as being something so much bigger than just, it's not me anymore. FRC is not me. It's so much bigger. And I know that you feel the same way when it comes to battle to be. Yes. Yes. We're just implementing our team. Uh, we have six coming on board. And so we're going to start next, next month training them to get them ready to be leading certain charges and everybody's got their own little little piece of the puzzle and it's 
a very big moment when you start letting go of the baby. <laughs> it's so scary. It is scary. It's exciting and it's scary and it's empowering. And um, the only part that I'm really nervous about is that quality is so important. So it's that how do I maintain that pure integrity and the focus and the quality the further it gets away? So building those structures in a way that I can maintain what is most important in those values too. And huge. still reach all the people that we need to reach. It's huge. Yes. It is huge. You're absolutely right, Krista. Like I can't even express to you enough because we know, you and I know, right, that um, there are certain programs out there for life coaches that is, you know, $250 in a couple hours on a Saturday morning. Um, that is not the quality of coaching that we want to bring to our people. We want to make sure that not only are we keeping the integrity of the the field itself, right, um, of coaching, but then bringing that level of quality to our first responders is absolutely one of our missions and goals. And I'm so, again, honored that we are sharing that mission together because um, I know you know, I've, I've had some people who've come in who've said, oh, yeah, I've been, you know, I've been life coaching for a while. And it's like, OK, let's let's talk about what certifications you have. Let's let's look at some of the you know experiences that you've had. And don't get me wrong. They're amazing human beings. And I think that they've got great start starting skills when it comes to to having a coaching relationship. Um, and I say, OK, come here. Let me show you something. Um, and we and we put them into a couple of our coach certification classes. And it's just, yep let's do this. Um, so we actually just launched another class. Um, we had one class just finish up last week. We've got another class finishing up in a couple more weeks and we just launched another class, um, this week. So it's just, it's, it's so exciting to be watching you watching us watching every again, modality of the mental health protection coming together. We need to coin that. <laughs> <laughs> all of this work is so amazing. I love that you did say not all coaches are created equal. That is important to know. Um, and again, it's that same puzzle piece with therapists as well. Just because you have a certification doesn't mean that you should be working with trauma. Doesn't mean that you should be working with first responders. So all of you guys out there that are listening, you hold the power to choose who you want to work with. So just because someone is a coach and they're in your space and you, like you can you know, they come up to you and they say, hey, I can coach you, you know, doesn't mean you have to choose them. It's not like there's only one doctor on your insurance plan. You actually can interview your coach. You yeah. can ask for references. And I know you've got tons of references. You can ask for credentials. Yes. Have a conversation with them before you hire them and see if the way they speak works for you, if you feel comfortable with them, if you feel a connection with them because there's a level of trust that has to be there. Yes. And if it's not there, it's not going to be there six months from now. Thank you. Yeah. Like you're going to connect a little bit. You're going to have a, a certain degree of, Hey, I can actually spend some time with this person because they're going to be getting into your deepest, darkest places. Yes. And you have to be willing to share your deepest, darkest places. So if, if you're not comfortable with them, that's just not going to work. So it's a relationship. Coaching is a relationship that 
you're not stuck with someone just because they happen to be there or they happen to be a coach. Do do that. Ask some questions. Find out what they know. Find out what their background is. And I'm a big advocate of education and continuing education and getting education from multiple resources because no singular resource has all of the information. And if you're not continuing the journey, you're missing all the new science. And there's massive amounts of new science coming out in our world, in the PTSD world right now. The neuroscience is just rapidly progressing. Fascinating. Fascinating. I'm really looking forward to digging into some more research soon enough. Um, because, you know, again, not just from the general population, but seeing so many of the pieces of what trauma had done to my husband in terms of his brain and neurological and executive functioning skills, like zero, the man had zero executive functioning skills um, for a very long time um, after his hospitalization. And we talk about TBIs, right? The traumatic brain injuries. And it's like, well, that's a physical, no, 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 no. Like, the ability for your brain to shut down all executive functioning skills because of an emotional, because of a, of a, you know, PTSD is real. Um, And so starting to see that, that information coming out um, is just, it's fascinating to me. And, um, you know, looking forward to some point um, wanting to research more about how um, that impacts generationally, um, you know, the secondary traumas, Um, Again, going back to the family structures, right? My husband's eating habits, sleeping habits are still to this day, not a typical, and again, most of our first responders don't, right? Because of their schedules and their routines. Um, But he's been retired since 2019. He's been home since 2018. So you'd think that some of the, you know, cicadic rhythms of life would have kicked in by now and nope. Um, So in what ways is that affecting our children? You know, what sort of eating habits and sleeping habits are they, you know, picking up on as being um, a part of the norm? Um, And how is that going to impact, you know, impact their adulthood? Um, I think would be fascinating information to continue to, to learn and, and research. There's just, there's so many different places where this all needs to be so expanded upon it's and it it is it's fascinating Mm -hmm. all this stuff all this stuff so um how do people get a hold of you oh my gosh um so a couple of ways um first and foremost my email address um jennifer a at one st responder coaching.org um our website one st responder coaching.org um, we are obviously on Facebook. You can find us again, 1stresponder.coaching.org or the um, Facebook group, um, again, 1st. So I'm sure you'll be putting all that stuff up there too. And I'd be honored to, again, share and, and love to have a continuing conversation with you, Krista. This was awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I feel like somewhere somewhere there's a, a project that we'll work on together. I'm just not sure what that looks like yet. Uh-huh. <laughs> totally agree. And I appreciate the uh, soul sister geeking out because I definitely felt that too. When we first met, I felt like you and I were like, oh my gosh, we're on the same page. This is so exciting. So no one understands. I swear to God, no one understands. And it all seems just so like, but this and this, and it's just so obvious and I don't get it. Why do you not understand? <laughs> We had such a good time together. We still have to go get our nails done someday. Yes, yes, yes. I haven't had mine done in a in a in a bit because I've been doing so much typing. I don't want to cut them really short this time. I have some typing to do. Thank you again, Krista. I am so honored to know you.
I'm so happy that you came today and I will see you later. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. So again, first responder coaching, um, and you can find her in, in all the different Facebook. They have an amazing Facebook group where you can actually go and just talk to a bunch of other people that are um, either coaches or clients of their coaches or just people who are perusing, uh, wanting more information and just want support. So it's a really great place to get kind of a feel for what that looks like. Um, and I will, of course, put all of the links when we do the anchor uh, for this podcast. So if you can't find them or you're struggling, message me and I will get that information to you if the anchor post hasn't gone up yet. Again, Krista Fee with Battle to Be signing off.